Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Blit, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. We often bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris, and I am here with my older brother, Wesley. Today we are talking a much-anticipated film available now on Disney Plus 2020's Mulan. Wait, Mulan came out in 1998. Oh, we're reviewing that 22 one? 22 years ago. Yeah, which one was first, Mulan or Pocahontas? Mulan was first. Thousand years old legend. I mean, in terms of Disney chronology. Uh, Pocahontas was first. I believe 96, Mulan 98. Yeah, it was like back-to-back chicks who I was tangentially looking like, and people would always refer to me by their names. Wow, that's Like, what's racist. up, Pocahontas? I know. It was like six years of like somewhat derogatory Disney princess references. I mean, I feel you, though. Everyone kept calling me Tarzan. (laughs) I guess it could have been worse. It's hard to say the title of this movie because in my head it's always Mulan. (laughs) From the 98 version. Yep. Or Mulan. No, that was the worst Eddie Murphy ever. Oh, my God. Is that what that was? (laughs) It kind of was more. That was more Gilbert Godfrey. (laughs) Can you do an Eddie Murphy dragon impression? Not after that, no. There was a Mushu-sized hole in this movie. But you got Cricky. We got, well, we got Cricky in the form of a soldier. So I guess that kind of worked. He was like, I'm good luck. And you even got Sean Yu's bird. His bird? You mean in The Sorceress? Yeah, the witch. But Bori Khan, played by Jason Scott Lee, looked so much like Sean Yu. Yeah. Like he was the live-action manifestation of that character. He had the exact same facial profile. He had those scars that kind of imitated like the, I don't know what, markings on Sean Yu. And he had all that hair. He had everything but the like yellow eyes. 
Although the Shan Yu did have fangs, which was a little bit, I don't know what that was. I was just, I couldn't get over it. I kept on, I kept on going on and on about how Jason Scott Lee looked exactly like the animated character. Yep. So what are we going to do with these names? Because I want to start talking about people. We're going to just refer to them by their more easily digestible animated counterparts. Everyone's going to compare it one way or the other to 1998's version, right? And some people we know were ecstatic. I think so, yeah. So the sneak was pretty much on board with this one, huh? Yeah, I think for what it was, she was on board. And so when Mulan was on the roof and the tiles gave way and she fell, but then didn't fall because she surfed down the tiles and did some right out of the gate, some Lost World Jurassic Park level gymnastics. That was cool. Well, it was not cool in Lost World, that's for sure. And it was just getting us into the spirit of things. I missed the transition from young Mulan to not so young Mulan. I was like, wait a second, did she just get really old? Like, they were all baby-faced and Miyazaki-bellied, and then all of a sudden they got all, like, long and lean and makeuped and getting ready for Matchmaker. So Kelly said, how old is she? And I said, no, well, that's not the Mulan, the one that we move forward with as an adult joining the Imperial Army, right? That's the the kid Mulan. And she's like, no, that's her. And I was like, no, that's (laughs) impossible. Because, yeah, she could be 12 or she could be 24. But yeah, she slid down the thing and landed on her feet. And I was like, oh boy, this is setting a tone. That was your first indication? What about the perfectly manicured quaint village with all of the vibrant colors, like all of the perfect color coordination between all the villagers? You didn't get tipped off a little bit before then that you were in for a fantasy? This whole thing was fantasy. And so we have to roll with that? Well, it's based, I mean, it's based on legend, which is based on a Disney cartoon and it's fantastical. And I, and I think, yeah, if you're going to enjoy Mulan, you have to come to it accepting that you're in a fantasy world. So unlike the animated version, when the enemies in this movie stormed the fortress or whatever and started running up the walls and they were magic enemies, that was cool? Well, some of them were magic enemies, yes, but it was like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. They were using the chi. And I resisted that comparison for as long as humanly possible. I thought this movie would want some distance from that until they started running across the rooftops. And at the very end, when they started wall walking, I was like, oh boy, now I can't be avoided. Well, I mean, they also had witches who were shapeshifters and emperors who are the child of God. There is no place for witches in this kingdom. And so she had a different kind of magic. And the fact that she was stronger than the whole army is beside the point. And I attributed it to just the mysteries of the Orient. But the chi was kind of the force, right? Mulan had lots of chi. I think that's the criticism, right? I think, I mean, chi is basically just energy. It's not the force. People can harness chi and energy, but they're not scaling walls and flying and shapeshifting and stuff. But yeah, they embellished that a little bit. Chi became the force in Mulan. And so people criticized quantifying the force in the Star Wars movies with the advent of uh, Phantom Menace and the midichlorians. You know about this, right? Yeah, yeah. It was like some mic- micro... In the blood. Yes. And and so I think that the chi in Mulan in particular could also be quantified by the unit of measure was the ting. And Mulan 2020, as opposed to the 98 version, had a lot of cheating. You worked really hard for that joke. Uh Uh-huh. And then the witch became a bird, and I was like, oh, boy. And then they went to the matchmaker, (laughs) 
and she covered the spider with the teapot. And it was like the funny matchmaker scenario because she can't be quiet. She can't sit still. She's going to bring dishonor to her family. And then she lifts the teapot and chaos ensues. And the spider jumps off the table at the matchmaker. And I was like, oh, boy. You know, the score in that scene was really distracting. It was so trying to manipulate us. It was so trying to tell us how to feel. But I get what you're doing. You're doing this thing that Brian does where you like just rehash a scene and your tone is supposed to communicate how you feel about it or why it's bad even yeah. though you're not, you're not actually saying why it's bad you're just describing the scene over again have you heard about Arnold Schwarzenegger doing commentary on the DVDs he's no, he's notorious he's famous for this he'll go <laughs> into he like a scene and he'll be like oh and this is a scene where I go and the man come, comes up to me and, and says says ah and I say, I say okay and I shoot him with the shotgun and he falls down and, and this next scene and he just recaps the scene but in the Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> accent imparts no wisdom or no t- no trivia no tidbits he just kind of goes through it one by one yes that's exactly what you're doing and at the end of every scene you're sighing and that's supposed to communicate yeah. something to me about how I should feel about the scene even though I enjoyed it. And then she steals her dad's armor and tries to impersonate a boy and goes to the army and makes everyone believe that she's a boy and I was like, oh boy. This is what I'm talking about. You know what was really cool? What's that? What was cool and I thought kind of inventive and maybe even unique to Milan was all the silk fighting. How both the witch and the emperor used silks and fabrics to, like, fight. How they could whip the silk and make the ends of the silk smack the people in the face. Yeah, it was like beautiful, elegant bullwhip fighting with Chinese silks. They were chi silks because they were like Doctor Strange cape silks or something. They they weren't normal silks. And there was also a lot of very modern, hip cinematography like the whole makeup scene when she's getting ready to go and practice tea with the matchmaker it was shot like tasty style where it's like here are all the ingredients to a Chinese makeover and then there you see them apply them it was like a makeup tutorial and like all of the all of the Gen Zers or the Gen Alphas are going to be like whoa that's really cool I'm totally going to recreate Mulan's makeup for Halloween and then the, the CG Phoenix showed up and it was like obviously CG and it looked like a kite and it was flying over every scene where you needed to be reminded of the Phoenix. And I was like, oh boy. So Mulan, Mulan, Mulan was the only person who saw the Phoenix, right? <laughs> so Kelly said the same thing. Didn't know, didn't care. Um, that might have made her slightly crazy. Was it her spirit animal? Was that her Patronus? Oh, yeah. The phoenix showed up at the end, uh, complimented with someone saying, rise. And then we had to add, like the phoenix. And the phoenix rises behind her, and she's, like, flanked by the wings. Oh, yeah. And I guess that would have freaked him out. It was dope. That was pretty cool. Man, the symbolism there, they did that symbolism. (laughs) I was like, oh, boy. So there was lots of girl power. And lots of fighting. And I guess the subtext was that Mulan was naturally talented or maybe she studied in secret because she was badass and she was a fighter at heart. Right. And the dad's like, they're going to call her a witch. And she had to pretend to be a boy. But also, as she demonstrated, when people got in her face, she could throw down. And so it wasn't a spectacular turn when she actually got into fights and 
they would shoot arrows directly at her, and she would see them coming in such a way that she could duck out of the way of the arrows. She finally lets her chi shine. Yeah. The point is that she wasn't miraculously a good fighter because she could let her hair down. She was always meant to be a good fighter. She just didn't have the opportunity because women weren't allowed in the Imperial Army, right? Yeah, and there was a certain way of being a soldier, and that wasn't going rogue. Even though she did go rogue. Well, she didn't want to stand out to call additional attention to herself because she was always already very slim-shouldered and feminine. Yeah. And so she stole her dad's armor and her like football-style shoulder pads and went to join the army but got lost. Yeah, I think it was a very it was a very long journey. <laughs> and it was supposed to illustrate, you know, the images were juxtaposed with the dad's narration saying she had never really been out in the world. She had all the skill and the chi or whatever, but she wasn't savvy in the ways of the world and the traveling, wandering ways of men. All that jelly but no toast. What did that mean? I don't know. So we were watching it, and there was girl power stuff happening, and the mysteries of the Orient. <laughs> and Kelly was, I looked over, and she was fully beaming. She was very happy during this movie, and I was like, oh, boy. And then Mulan uses the force to carry the water. This is where Kelly started to have a problem. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. the chi doesn't help her lift the no. water. With arms extended. No, that was impossible. Any of them, what she did was impossible to do. Right. So later on, when she was in the uh, the sulfur stink cavern, and she encountered the witch, and they had the fight, mm-hmm. and the witch shurikened her. I don't know if that's the Chinese word or not, but she died, right? No, her leather layer protected her. So it was symbolically, the boy died, and Hua Mulan rose like a phoenix? Yeah. Okay, so... Why did the witch leave her? Because she thought that she was dead. Okay. Because the witch is strong in the force also. She is, but the witch didn't really want to kill her anyway. Nope. The witch had many opportunities to kill Wabmulan, and then she has this wonderful turn. I understand that this was an oversimplified script, and the bigger themes were more important than there being kind of interesting drama going on. But I I liked the way that the big themes played out. As simple and obvious as the witch's turn was, I thought it was kind of neat. Like she was like, my time has passed. And you think, oh, she really doesn't believe that she can change. But no, what she was saying is her time was done and she was ready to sacrifice herself for someone whose time was coming. And I thought it was lovely. So thematically, when Mulan casts aside her male persona and owns it, and is going to be the hero that China needs, she throws away her dad's armor. And Kelly was like, you're throwing away your dad's armor? Obviously it was important, and it represented her family, because when she lost his sword, she was devastated, and really worried that he wouldn't accept her back without the sword that she lost in the lava, or whatever. I don't know about throwing it away, but she was, yes, casting it off to free herself and her chi, Now, granted, she was Neo and she self-actualized as the one, but it could have been useful. Like she didn't obviously didn't need the armor because you wouldn't be able to see her femininity. And it was perfectly acceptable because when people would chuck spears at her, she would leap from her horse and flip and kick them in midair and then land back on her horse. She didn't need the armor. Yeah, they were doing that thing that the elf does in the ring movie. (laughs) The elf in the ring movie? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where you like flips and it's like all badass on the horse and you're like that's not really possible oh lord of the rings 
<laughs> hey, what Mulan wasn't a wasn't a kids movie. Apparently not, because it was the only live-action remake that has been so far rated PG-13. And it's an old joke that of all the Disney movies, who has the highest body count? That was undoubtedly Mulan, who rained down an avalanche on hundreds or thousands of Chinese Hun soldiers in that case. And uh, we were waiting for the avalanche and didn't think it was going to happen, and then it did happen. And, uh, you know, she tricked them into triggering the avalanche. and then she They overshot ran. a little bit, didn't you think? I don't know, but she ran laterally and and outran the avalanche and then leaped onto her horse as it sprinted by. And I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> they way overshot, and then the horse's hooves were, like, continuously pounding pavement as it ran through the avalanche. Right. Do you remember when Shang went over the side of the cliff, but they shot an arrow down, and he tied it to the saddle of his horse, and they were able to pull the, him and the horse back up? You sound very well-versed in the 1998 version. Oh, yeah. I saw that movie a bunch. The avalanche pushed him over the edge of the cliff. Mulan fired an arrow, which he then tied to the horse, and then they hauled him up hand over hand, lifting the horse on the strength of the little rope that was tied to the arrow. That, in terms of physics, was more believable than Mulan 2020 when she was galloping across the avalanche and pulled Homeboy up out of the snow with one hand to save him. She had the chi, dude. She was working the chi. Yeah. Plus, Mushu was helping pull the horse up, so he had super dragon strength. Right. And she had the power of the phoenix. Oh, the phoenix. We got a lot of the phoenix, man. Phoenixes are very symbolic. So we come to the final fight, and she had to fight Sean Yu. What was his name? Jason Scott Lee? Bori Khan. Yep. And they were fighting on the plank, on the wood that was balanced, and it was a Pirates of the Caribbean level fight and balancing and sword fighting. Why didn't he just wait for her to make the full rotation and then jump on her on the wood? I don't know. And we had the flippy cameras tracking her movement when she was darting in and out of the bamboo and flipping and fighting and stuff. It seemed the like bamboo scaffolding. Yeah. With her level of chi, she could have bested him at any point, more or less. Right. Mm, he had some chi going on, too. I guess so. Not enough. I mean, he he was an arrow catcher, and Jet Li was an arrow catcher, too, as the emperor. But Shan Yu, what was his name? Bori Khan. Couldn't quite catch the arrow. So her chi was a little bit faster, a little bit stronger than his in the end. Well, he was already, he had already taken a really bad fall. Like, he had all the wind knocked out of him. Well, that didn't stop him from grabbing his bow and potentially killing the emperor. He was like, dead, bam, dead. Oh, he's going to shoot you. <laughs> The bad guys always got to have the last gasp. Do they got to? I mean, I'm guessing that for Disney movies, we got to play this one pretty safe, right? It's going to the themes have to be pretty basic and easy to track. You say it's not a movie meant for kids, but a lot of us who are seeing Mulan are in our 40s. And I don't think Mulan 98 was really a movie for kids either. Right. I mean, that was kind of in the golden age of Disney animation where we were getting more adult themes and more adult stories than than silly stuff. I think that Pirates of the Caribbean is actually a pretty apt comparison. It's Disney and it's family, but it's not kids per se. There's scary elements. There's battles. There's fantasy. Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, Best Picture nominee. That one. Yeah. So I think it's a good comparison for their for the audience. And so you do have the kids as well as the adults tuning in for Mulan. But I'm guessing that this movie was aimed specifically for a target age of 13, 
where this felt like a daring movie. It did have some battle scenes. Of course, there was there were three drops of blood from the witch, and everything else was kind of implied or just off screen. No, there were people getting fully, full-on shot through with arrows. Yeah, but there was no blood. When I saw that, I was like, whoa, PG-13. I'm going to assert that this movie is for exactly 13-year-olds and the sneak. <laughs> well... You wouldn't be too far off. I mean, 13-year-olds still need their parents to pull out the pocketbooks, so... Oh, man, this movie's going to make so much money. Well, I sure hope it makes money because this movie costs $200 million. This movie costs as much as Tenet. So you're so this movie obviously is available on Disney+. Plus. After much hemming and hawing, they bypassed a theatrical run entirely and went straight to Disney+. Plus. But it, this is too big a movie to just let the Disney+, Plus subscribers have it. So what they did was they released it on-demand sorta on lease where you're paying $30 to be able to watch it but not own it as long as you maintain your Disney Plus account and when it's available to everyone on December 4th I believe then you don't own this movie at all December 2nd premium VOD available for one month Uh uh-huh and then it goes dark for a month really because there has to be uh uh-huh because there has to be a gap otherwise you know if you're if it's premium one week and then available for subscription on Disney Plus the next week, you're like, I'm going to wait a week. So there's a month of dark, and then it comes back on Disney Plus. The Disney Vault endures. But if ever you cancel your Disney Plus subscription, regardless if you paid PVOD or not, you don't own it. That's correct. I mean, I guess if they vaulted it at some point, they took it down off the Disney Plus, they might honor, you know, the PVOD quote-unquote purchase. Stop saying that. Of the film. No one says PVOD. Maybe in Frisco. It's tech lingo. Unirregardlessly, this movie was best suited for Disney Plus viewing. Sure, although it's ripe for piracy. Like all these people watching it in the privacy of their own home, just, you know, videotaping it and then putting it online. Kids don't know how to pirate movies. Um, yeah, they do. So Mulan opens in China this week. And I think half the country's already seen it because of piracy. Yeah, and half the country was talking about it way before that because of all the controversy swirling around it. You mean the lead actor? I don't know. You're the one that's always saying that people are too sensitive and like boycotting stuff and canceling stuff. I'm not qualified to comment on this particular crisis. I've read a little bit about it. Don't claim to understand it. Certainly don't take sides. But she is stirring the cheese storm for sure. And I'm sure that no matter what, because Disney released a statement and they said, look, we're not getting involved. Not to say that these aren't important causes, but our message has always been as many people as possible. So they're not taking sides, and obviously they're not going to decry their star or sabotage their movie, but uh, they have to be cringing. But I compared her speaking out and Disney clutching their pearls at the thought of creating controversy to Nikki Caro's other breakout movie that she directed. Do you remember Whale Rider? Oh, yeah. So Whale Rider was a big thing, and then Keisha Castle Hughes went on to play Mary in The Nativity Story. And people are like, she is Mary, like Jim Caviezel playing uh, Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. And then almost immediately, she's like, I'm 14, but I'm going to marry my overage boyfriend, and we're having a baby. And people are like, and it was very controversial. Oh, scandalous. And she never really recovered. 
And I guess you don't want to offend the largest market in the world. Disney's treading very carefully, and hopefully she doesn't sink herself in terms of future prospects. Maybe she can transition more successfully into Western movies, but still, you know, be a little bit careful. You're biting the hand that feeds you. Yeah, I mean, I think that she's poised for a crossover. And it was great to see all these recognizable faces. You know, they're big in China and they're big here. Like, Brian was super stoked and starstruck when he saw Ip Man show up as the commanding officer of the army. And Jet Li makes a not-so-obvious appearance. And then the dad from um, The Farewell was great and very dadly in his dad role. But I think your description of, of Mulan as the character as being just fine and safe is very accurate and representative of the movie. But that doesn't mean that it was bad. I think for what Mulan was, it was good. And that's my official rating. Oh, boy. Asterisk. For 13-year-olds. Sure. I'm going with whatever. You would think that after 22 years, they would find some way to heighten the story, to expand the story and in some respects they did they did expand on some of the the themes and went in a slightly different direction introducing of all things a magical element it's like no mushu but lots of magic okay but it felt like a rehash enough so that i couldn't justify its existence but then again you know i'm throwing eggs at the disney train and the disney train is unstoppable I could see why they wanted to adapt Mulan to a live-action version, and they did it, and boy, she did some Mulaning in this movie, and lots of chi, and good for her. But wow, I never thought that I would say that this movie, which would be ripe for adaptation to a live-action version, would make me nostalgic for the cartoon version, which to me, far more realistic. Wow. Do you realize in the last two weeks you've whatevered two 200 million dollar movies yep disney we love you please sponsor us wow so there you got it a whatever from wes a good from iris that's our talk on mulan what are the tenets wes what are the tenets loyal brave true and then mulan's bonus tenet family these are the things that the mulan movie was right it was loyal to the adaptation a brave remake And it was true to her character and all about family. 818-835-0473 is our hotline or whatever movies at gmail.com. How do people support us, Wes? Um, Kind words. I'm helping you get over your self-promotion hangup. Well, they can find us on Patreon. We have two additional posts per month. So that's like, what, 25, 26 additional episodes a year, most of which are chosen not because they are contemporary releases, as Mulan is, but rather because we love them or because we feel we have something to say about them that would make for interesting listening. That's how you can help us. If you like our podcast, become a movie friend on Patreon, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening and your support. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. 
We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast.